Uh, welcome back to Calvary Life. I am Charles Uptane. And I'm Paul Thompson. And uh, we're here for a next episode of, uh, of Calvary Life. And really what we want to talk about t- today is um, what really makes us, uh, what would we say starts us? What's our priority at Calvary? What, what, what do we say is the first thing we do at Calvary together as a church that makes us a church? What would you say, Paul? Well, fundamental to being a church, I mean, just fitting the basic biblical definitions of what a church is, is a people that gathers, a people that are called out. So we're called out from that world, that kingdom, into this world, this kingdom. And so that new kingdom that we're called into is the kingdom of Christ. And so to mark ourselves as called out people, we gather as a church. So I say, I think fundamentally, it's not all that we do, but we can't do less than this, and that's gathering. Yeah. Gathering as a people. Yeah, you know, I, I think this really, we, we as elders really started talking about this. You know, the really, I guess the last uh, staff position that we filled uh, was a year ago by this time because we just had a little anniversary for Patrick, for the Limas. And, and uh, you know, I, I know we've had a lot of conversations about um, what we would say is our philosophy of worship. So um, what would you say if somebody said, what is Calvary's philosophy of worship? I think primary to our philosophy of worship is participation. It's God's people gathering together and responding to what God has revealed to us. So I like this statement. Um, I I think in my mind, the recesses of my mind, I would attribute its origin to David Platt, but that worship is a, it's the rhythm of God's revelation and our response. So I'd say our philosophy of worship is, are we rightly responding to what we rightly understand to be true? And so all of our worship has to be, in that sense, reactionary, responsive to, driven by Scripture. What does Scripture say? How does Scripture say we worship? Uh, what does Scripture say about the God that we worship, the kind of worship we should do? All those things, I think, are dictated in Scripture. So responding rightly to biblical revelation, is our it, that's our first priority. As God's people, we worship Him because He's revealed Himself as one to be worshiped. Yeah. I like that either of rhythm because even in our services, I think you, if you are paying attention, you will see it go back and forth where we have time where we are either a lot of, most of the time we're either reading scripture or, or speaking scripture to the congregation or, and then we're responding in that in prayer or in songs. So is that what you're kind of saying with the rhythm of, of a service? Yeah. Let me give you an example of this. So I'm going out the door, I'm standing at the door Sunday morning, I'm greeting people going out the door. And one of our faithful members said, I, I see our services are becoming more Presbyterian. Hmm. And I guess he could tell by the look on my face that I didn't know exactly how to interpret that, you know, what he meant. So no, 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 I don't mean that badly. I just mean I, I can tell. It seems like they're becoming more, I don't know, more more solemn or, or more serious. And I said, well, I gave the short answer that I'm about to expound upon here is we're trying to be more intentional. Um, I don't know if that makes us more Presbyterian or not, so I guess that's a nod to our Presbyterian brothers. But we're trying to be more intentional about what we're doing in worship and consistently praying in the ways we ought to pray, that Scripture tells us to pray. We're trying to keep Scripture as the fundamental guidance of all that we do. There's a hub to it all. And I hope what people are hearing is they're reading more Scripture, they're praying, singing, speaking those Scriptures, they're doing these things, and all of it is connected together 
in what you're describing in this rhythm of response. Here's what God's Word says. What do we do with that? So mm-hmm. we may, as we did this past Sunday, read a text, and it's about confession. So we're going to confess. And after we confess, then we're going to be reminded of God's grace in confession. We didn't come to just simply wallow in our sin and misery. We came to find grace. And so we confess our sins as we're commanded to do. We receive the grace that God promises to us. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Or as the text you read, he buries our sins to the bottom of the sea. And then we celebrate that. And then we sing in in response to that. So everything is is connected to here's what God says. Here's what we do with it. Here's how we respond. So I hope what people are seeing is from the very beginning, a call to worship that is from Scripture to the very end. Here's a benediction that sends people out with the Word of God. Here's a scripture for you. Go out with this. Go out and do this. Go out and live this or take this by faith. Believe this as you leave here. And so that's that's really been our aim. And I think, I guess we would refer to this is how we're trying to apply what we would call the regulative principle, what church has been practicing for, well, for decades, centuries, um, a sense that worship is not a free-for-all. We don't get to do what we want to do. Uh, we do what God's Word tells us to do. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to read a definition. Well, not really a definition. I guess it's a, a, a thought out of what the regulative principle. One of the books that, that we read as elders, and, and we've uh, mentioned it to the church, is Corporate Worship by, by, by Matt Merker. And um, in it, he says this about the, the regulative principle. He says, this is the idea that God hasn't left it up to us to decide what acts of gathered worship are valid. He has revealed his will to us in his word. We worship according to his design and intent. So with that, what, what are some things, what are some components? We've kind of talked about them, but list, what do you think are the, the components that we should have in a worship service? As we're, I know we as a staff try to put that together. We're thinking about it each week. So what are the things that we think need to be there? I think in general, the non-negotiables would be, uh, we want there to be corporate singing. I mean, we, like we talk about, um, when you're choosing songs for worship, and let me back up just a little bit on this because this is kind of a sticking point for me. I want to make sure that as we're saying what we're saying today, what you're hearing is this. We're talking about an entire service of worship. So prayer is worship. Scripture reading is worship. People Mm -hmm. hearing and listening, meditating, confessing, that's worship. Giving, that's worship. Giving the sermon is worship. Hearing and receiving the sermon is worship. Um, we've got to break that that sort of false um, idea that, uh, I guess it's a false dichotomy that worship is music singing, and right. then there's something else, preaching, teaching, etc. Um, all of this is worship. So, but I would say when it comes to the musical part of our worship, our primary focus would be corporate singing. I read something on a statement someone had posted, um, it was a meme, it was on Facebook. This was several months ago, and I, can't, I wish I could remember exactly uh, the wording of it. The gist of it was this, that the f- focal point of corporate worship is the choir singing. And so I had all these people you know, respond, oh yeah, I miss, you know, I have nothing against choirs. And we use a choir. We don't use it every week. We use them periodically. But our purpose for using a choir is to either call us to worship yeah. or help stimulate and encourage worship. So maybe they're going to teach us a new song. Um, maybe they're going to draw us into now this time. We're beginning this time. We, we've stopped what we're doing. We've gathered to worship. It's beginning now. But they don't just perform for us. You know, They're not just singing for us. Our purpose with music is, is corporate singing. We want God's people 
responding to God with singing. So I say corporate singing, reading of Scripture, which now we probably have three or four different passages of Scripture read in every service. And with that, we're trying to show the value of Old Testament, New Testament, and different parts of the Old Testament. So sometimes it may be something from the law. Sometimes it might be something from a psalm or a proverb. Uh, sometimes it might be something from something historical or, or a book of prophecy, but also New Testament text. So reading of the Word, preaching the Word, prayers. Mm-hmm. We'll try to be real intentional with prayers, that they're not just prayers for filler's sake. We're not using just prayers as transitional moments to get people up and down off the platform, but trying to be real intentional. Are we praying prayers of adoration? Are we praying prayers of supplication? Um, are we praying prayers of repentance and confession? Are we praying prayers of thanksgiving and making this part of the regular routine of our life? Giving as an act of worship? Um, we've talked about this a lot because sometimes that offering is the awkward part in the service. And the temptation is always just to simplify that and just put the put a giving kiosk at the door or right. just let everything be online. And I know that's more convenient, but we still believe that there's something useful and valuable in worship to say, I'm going to pause at this moment and I'm going to give thanks for what God has done for me. I'm going to recognize that he's the giver of every good gift. The only way I have an ability to give anything at all is because he's generous to me. And in my act of worship, I'm going to give. And so I think that's an important part of worship. And then I would say the ordinances, Lord's Supper and baptism. Yeah. And one of the things we've done a, over a good span of time now is try to be more regular about the church sharing the Lord's Supper together trying to be really clear about baptism, what it means and who it's for, what it teaches, Lord's Supper, and making those part of our worship. So I think if you add in the corporate singing, the reading and preaching of the Word, a variety of prayers according to Scripture, giving, and then Lord's Supper and baptism, there are, there are more things that you can do, but I don't think you should do less than that. Yeah. what I, I want to ask you a question about prayer stuff because I think something I think we as a staff have really um, been – focused on in our prayers as we pray for the congregation is um, thinking more about those before we get up there. So speak to that for a minute of, of even even writing things down. Um, and and I guess deliberate is a good word for that. But would you say that's something that we want to do as a as a as a staff, as a congregation, as we talk about how to pray as a group? Yeah, that's that's good. Somebody had given a little bit of pushback to a prayer that um, one of our folks gave, one of our staff gave, that obviously was prepared in advance and and written out and really just challenged him, almost maybe upbraided him, pray spontaneously. Brother, I just want you to pray from the heart. And as I gave that some thought, I, I started thinking back to, in a previous generation, so you guys that are younger, you won't catch this, but Back when Cecilia and I were dating in college, and we didn't have text and email, so we wrote letters, we wrote notes. And there was probably a period of time I wrote her a a note or a letter every day, put in her campus mailbox. The fact that I would take time to think through what I wanted to say to her, that I wanted to clearly convey what I was feeling in that moment, or how much I missed her, or how much I couldn't wait to see her, or how much I was looking forward to this weekend, or whatever it may be, that did not diminish my sincerity. Mm -hmm. She would not read that and say, oh, I'd rather you just speak to me spontaneously. The fact that I would put my thoughts together and think clearly and deeply actually enhanced it. I think anybody who's ever received a a love letter, for any of you from my generation or older, and you've kept these in a box, they have value to you because, you know, they they reflected real thought and meaning. And, And it's not less, it's actually more for me if I'm sitting down thinking 
what do I really want to say? What do I really want to speak? And it's also it's also not something that we just do in corporate worship. I mean, for me, in my own journal, I do write out prayers. Mm-hmm. Now, I may not write them out word for word, but I do write out specific things. God, help me with. God, show me this. God, grant me this. Um, God, set me free of this, whatever it may be. One, I do it because it helps my thinking, to be clear, but also I do it so I can revisit it later. But um, I think there's a place for both. Frequently, when I get to pray before the sermon, I'm not reading a prayer, but it doesn't mean I haven't thought out ahead of time, what do I want to be praying about? Yeah. What do I want to say in this moment? So again, that's kind of a long answer to that question, but I think I think there's real value in that, to really sit down and carefully consider, measure my words, and, and give them some weight. And, and I'll tell you one more thought on that, Charles. If you look back at some of the prayers of our Christian predecessors, mm-hmm. you look at back at some of the prayers of the Puritans that we have written down, like that beautiful anonymous book of prayers, The Valley of Vision, or you look at the written prayers of some of the great pastors and theologians of the past, you would not come away with those thinking, oh, those people didn't know God, or they weren't close to God, or their relationship was somehow inauthentic because they weren't spontaneous. You would come away thinking the exact opposite. Look at the depth of understanding, the depth of devotion and commitment. Look at the expression of, of truth played out and the statements of faith given and dependence on. And I think they're actually, we're actually better off for those. And yeah. I think in many ways, not always, we won't, we won't always do them that way. But I think that well thought out, carefully considered, even written out prayer can be very beautiful, very powerful, very, very beneficial. And one final thought on that, real quick. Now I'm ranting. It also helps teach our people to pray. I mean, we, we want our people to pray in a way that's deep and thoughtful and, and rich and meaning and scripture-driven and spirit-led and all those things. And that's the final thing. If, if someone would challenge you to say, well, I just think the spirit should lead you in that moment. Well, you know, I prepare for sermons too. And I don't know that there's a big distinction between me sitting in my study thinking and considering and writing stuff out and praying and asking God to show me and studying some more, and thinking some more, and taking a stroll, and then writing it out, and someone writing out a prayer. You know, yeah. If the Spirit can lead me in my study, He can lead that person praying in that moment they write down that prayer. So that's kind of a long answer to that question, but I, I think they're valuable. I think they're worthwhile, and I think it's added depth and meaning to our prayer times. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I just even, even about the the prayers we see in Scripture, you know, you think about some of Paul's prayers in his letters, and you think about some of the uh, some of the Old Testament prayers, um, I mean, man, they, those things are not um, very superficial in light. Oh, and, yeah. And I think it just shows us that, um, not that we want to be so heavy all the time. I don't, I'm not thinking you're saying that, and I'm definitely not saying that, but but I think it just helps us elevate what we're doing at that moment, especially corporate. I mean, there's a difference. Would you say there's a difference in how we stand up there to pray individually versus praying in that sure. corporate moment? Sure. And we, you know, there's there's something worse than someone writing their prayer, and that would be a prayer that is just spontaneous and superficial, yeah, um, just going through the motions. And we never want that. And again, we're not we're not just presenting a program. We're not producing a program on Sunday mornings, but we are trying to start someplace and go someplace mm-hmm. every Sunday. And what I mean by that is there's something that this text, this passage that we're in as a church family, is driving us towards. 
And so we want that to be all-encompassing. We're going to be praying on that text and around that text. We're going to be singing around that text and responding around that text. We're going to be challenging people to obedience around that text. So in, in that sense, the prayers this week may look and feel different than next week. Like, for example, this past Sunday, we really emphasized a good portion of prayer around confession, repentance. Why? Because our response in worship was Lord's Supper, yeah. and we want to come to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So, um, And back to your point about it, is it different? Yes, I think it is different. When we're praying corporately, we're, we're praying in light of all of these people here. I'm praying as a representative for all these people, and... And again, I'm not praying as performance. Right. I'm praying because I'm trying to draw you into prayer too. I want you to be praying, and I want to be praying in such a way that encourages your praying, your participation in prayer, and at the very least, your affirmation of that prayer. So when you're when you're saying that amen, that amen is, I agree with that. Yeah. I want that too. I seek that also. Um, God, I want that for me as well. Yeah. So back to the thing we were talking about earlier, the concept of, of music, Um you know, I know Patrick's not here, and I think we need to have him for, for the for one of these, just to talk about how he selects music and those kind of things, and we can go more in depth to that. But just speak to that broadly, I guess, of of what you are trying to um, accomplish. Is it? I guess I, my point is this: is there's a flow that you want the music to lead to what you're trying to main point of the sermon, or what's your what's your goal in that towards music and the sermon together in worship? The first filter for music is always: is it true? Does this does this convey truth? Um, and then there's some subsequent filters to that. Maybe one that's equal to that one would be: is this song primarily to or about God, or is it to or about me? And so, as much as possible, we're eliminating those things that are really about me, that mm-hmm. are me centered, uh, my feelings, my emotions, etc. We want to sing those songs that declare the truths of God or thank God for what he's done or speak to God in worship. So that would be the first filter in guiding them. But music is language. So we're looking at, at language that that reinforces. Like I was thinking Sunday, that song, I'll, I'll sing that this week. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one of the many benefits of, of worshipful music with truthful lyrics Written in a way, obviously, there's a different quality in music. So, you know, Patrick's a musician. I'm not at all. So he's looking for quality, singability, um, things that I can remember, that sort of thing. Um, but again, through the filter of truth. Now, music is a challenging thing because music can be music can be highly manipulative. Mm. Music is a very emotional expression, and we know we have to be careful with this. We know that musically. We can cause people with just certain chord progressions, um, certain up-tempo things. We can build towards things. Patrick could give all the technical terminology, but we know certain ways in certain songs we could get people to their feet, for instance. Right. Now, I hope people would come to their feet because of what they're singing, they're excited about. Yeah, yeah, man, that's the truth. That's I love this. I want to sing this. I want to, I want to praise God. In that moment, this is spontaneous. But we know music can manipulate. We also know that certain chords and certain paces can create solemn effects and things like that. So we want to be careful with how we use it psychologically, mm-hmm. but use it as a tool. Sometimes we do want to be reflective. We this is not a celebratory moment, right? Um, and we want people to sing in a way that reflects that—that that the solemnness of of sin, for instance, or the holiness of God. Other times are absolutely celebratory, and we want people. You need to be celebrating this. You need to be celebrating this promise or this gift or this goodness of God. 
um, that sort of thing. But in general, if you're asking how this all fits together, we want music that's that teaches and creates an opportunity for people to respond to what they're learning. So this is helping me. This is reinforcing this truth, this reality. This is this is reinforcing for me this principle or this promise or this text, and I can respond this way. Um, so that's our primary uh, primary focus in it. And again, functionally, not just to hear it. You know, I I enjoy listening to good music, and that can be encouraging, inspiring. But in corporate worship on Sunday, our primary focus is we want to you to be engaged. Yeah, we want you to be singing. Yeah, and that was going to be my next point. I mean, I think what we would say to our to our folks on, as you're listening is that you know we want you to sing. We we need that corporate worship time to be a time where we are 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 singing as you know as people who believe what we're singing. And I think the more we sing with that, then it just builds on itself of of hearing others around you singing is a good thing. And we want to hear that. We want to hear each other's voices as we lift these truths together. And a challenge for Calvary folks, just logistically is the acoustics in the fellowship center where we gather for uh, worship on Sunday mornings are not particularly conducive to corporate singing, which means you got to sing louder. Yeah, exactly. You really have to be, you, you have to go for it. You just have to let it rip in there so we can all sing and, and hear hear you and, and sing with you. You remember Sunday night when uh, attendance is smaller in the Sunday night service and we're in the sanctuary and as we're singing some of those songs, some of those hymns, and particularly at some acapella parts, you can just hear the voices just resonating in the room. That's one of our unfortunate trade-offs in the space, but it's it's so good, so encouraging to hear people sing and worship, and that's that's just a necessary response. Sing to the Lord. That's not that's not an option. That's a command. Yeah. And then one final thing about I guess our gathering together. Um, because I think it is a part of being a family. Um, speak about how we how we want to greet one another and the welcoming time of that gathering. How important is that? Not that we come in there and sit in the chairs and look forward and wait on the service. Uh, even though we want to get started on time, that is something we, we, we want to do. But what about those times before and times after? How important is it for the church family to really be about one another and greeting one another? I read a tweet yesterday. Um, someone that I, I enjoy reading and, and align myself with doctrinally, theologically. And this person was lamenting the fact that someone in their community had started attending a church that just didn't, I mean, just wasn't hitting the mark. I don't want to be too disparaging, but kind of a pseudo Pentecostal, self help, seeker driven, pop culture, you know, me centered, not God centered church that wasn't strong in the word person started attending that church because they were greeted so well there and the good bible believing sound doctrinal church um orthodox strong convictional confessional church when they visit there a few times people weren't very friendly to them um here's the thing i don't know why and maybe somebody can do a study on this at some point but it seems like the unhealthier a church is doctrinally theologically ecclesiology wise the the better they are at greeting and things and and the churches that are that are sound i guess maybe maybe we assume um you'll want to be here so badly that you'll ignore the fact that we're not being friendly or outgoing i i think to your point it is is absolutely critical not as a marketing ploy not as a tool to engage seekers 
but simply as a reflection of who we really are. The more we see ourselves as this loving family, and we want to invite you to be part of this family with us, and the more we see ourselves as this community, you know, again, to borrow a term from uh, Jamie Dunlop's book, The Compelling Community, the more that we understand that our best evangelism may not be our one-on-ones, but maybe our corporate evangelism, the fact that people can come and be a part of us and see these people really love the Lord. Listen how they sing. Listen how they read Scripture. Listen how they pray. Look at what they do. But they love one another, and people want that. People are looking for that, that the power of that community. The more we, more we see ourselves as we really are, as God's people, God's family, the more that ought to be natural. But we can't, we can't emphasize it enough, and everybody has to be part of that. You know, One of the... One of the challenges to churches once they get to a certain size, mid-sized churches and up probably, maybe not even mid-sized. I mean, once you get past 100, 150, maybe 200 people, we have a tendency to start hiring out or getting volunteers to do things that really everybody in the church should do. Yeah. So you start getting a greeting team, a welcoming team, ushering, hospitality, et cetera. And you may even have staff that's specifically assigned to do those things. Well, we have to return to the mindset that this is not something – we can hire out. This is something we are. This is something that we do. So my encouragement to any Calvary folks here would be just do some of the things we've talked about already. Move around where you sit. Be intentional about looking for those people who, and they give telltale signs, right? You know people who oh, are yeah. newcomers? Oh, yeah. They come in, they sit down. They're looking at the bulletin. They're they're sitting down as a family together. It's easy to spot them. Yeah, they're not hanging out in a cluster of people. Um, they're just sitting there looking straight ahead, waiting for the, the program to start, so to speak. Um Look for those people you don't know and be willing because we are a growing church and there are new families coming all the time. Be willing to be embarrassed a little bit if you go come up to someone and say, hey, are you new here? And they've been here five years. Yeah. It's okay. Then you'll remember them and get to know them and just be as proactive as you can. I think that's, I think that's again, not as a, a tool for marketing, but it's just as an expression of this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is how we live. And we want you to be part of it. Yeah. I, I'm... I see that more and more. I know some of our deacons have really taken to that and have tried to even have some systems in place for that, and uh, I think that helps. But I think what you're saying is it's really about all of us contributing to that and seeing that as part of our our, our DNA is to love one another and really care about everybody that we see, that this is our big family and we need to know everybody that we can. So. You know, as we talk about worship in upcoming podcasts, one of the things we'll do soon, and we'll include Patrick on this, um, let's spend some time talking about so our folks hear and understand not only the philosophy that guides what we choose in music broadly, generally, but why why there are certain groups, why there are certain uh, churches, why there are certain ministries whose music we just won't use, yeah, and why, and what sort of parameters we apply to that. Um, and I want some of our folks to hear that and understand there may be a good song that you really like and that you listen to and you hear it on Top 40 Christian Radio and you say, hey, can't we sing that in church? We're going to talk about why. Why that's – the answer may be simple. It's, it's, it's a good song for you to listen to your car and sing. It's not a great song for corporate worship. It's not a great song for people to sing along with. But the reason may also be a little bit deeper and darker than that. It may come from a ministry or a church that we absolutely cannot, will not – support or endorse in any way, nor do we want them to profit from our use of their music. So we'll talk about some of that and name some of those names next time. All right. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Hey, if you have questions for us, if there are some topics you'd love to hear us discuss, shoot us an email 
at podcast at calvarydothan.com. And we will try to get to it. Or you can email any of us. You can always just use our first names, anyone on staff, first name at calvarydothan.com. See you next time. Take care.